Bow your heads with me one more time this morning. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. We thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. And, and Lord God, we just surrender this service to you, Lord. This is your church. This doesn't belong to any pastor or any board member, Lord God. This is yours. And we pray, Lord God, that you would be honored here this morning, that your words would be spoken. I pray, Father, would you open up our hearts to hear not from Selwyn, but from you, and to be challenged and transformed and empowered through your power. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It is good to see everyone this morning. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been up here, but it's good to be back uh, behind this music stand. Our podium, music stand. Anyway, I was thinking this morning before I started preaching, how many of you guys remember as a kid, your parents would warn you, you know, when you first start walking to school, how many of you guys remember the warnings that would come to you from your parents? Anybody? Yeah, what, what was it? Do you remember what it was? What was the warning? Don't talk to strangers, right? Remember stranger danger, whatever you do, don't talk to strangers, right? Also, if you're a parent, you've done this, right? Also, they said, what, whatever you do, don't take candy. Work with me, guys. Come on, was I, my parents the only parents that said this? Don't take candy from strangers because it could be something else disguised as candy. And, and I remember saying the similar kind of things to my kids. is like, listen, you can't trust everybody. Be careful who you trust. Well, if you look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, In this passage, we see Jesus saying kind of the same thing to us, to his children. There's a warning, there's a caution in here for us about who we trust and to be careful. And this is something he's saying to us, his children, in love and in concern for what he knows is out there. So you can read with me above my head or open your Bibles, but Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 And he says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And I skip down to the last verse in that passage. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. I, uh, I recently, I've always wanted to get some chickens. And how do I go from that to chickens? But trust me, I, I've always wanted to get some chickens. I, I just wanted to have fresh eggs. And, and, and the other thought behind it was, you know, with, with Michael, where's Michael? I thought this would be great for Michael to learn a few things. He can be, take care of chickens. He can feed them. He can clean the coop out. So recently I, I built this chicken coop, which was way too small. Then I had to build an extension. And we have two chickens. And, uh, and so we've got them. And, and guess who feeds the chickens and takes care of the chickens? You think Michael does? No. I'm now taking care of the chickens and feeding the chickens, so my plan failed, but the eggs are beginning to come. Well, I got the chickens from Tim Chapman. One, was, one chicken was old enough to lay eggs, and the other one was still a juvenile chicken. And, and, and just recently, he came up to me and said, hey, he goes, I've got this one chicken he goes, that I've got. His, unfortunately, his chickens got killed. He said, I got one that survived, and it's lonely. Will you take care of it for me? And I said, sure. He goes, now, I don't know if it's a rooster or a hen. 
And so I've been taking care of this chicken, and, and yesterday I was outside looking at this thing, trying to figure out, is it this thing is a rooster or a hen, all right? Now, no, I haven't grabbed the chicken. I wouldn't even know what to look for, all right? So I'm looking online, and I'm trying to figure out what roosters look like and what hens look like when they're this juvenile age. And they're saying, well, you can tell by certain feathers, and these feathers are by the neck, and these feathers are by the tail, and roosters typically have more pointed, long, thin uh, feathers where hens have rounded, they all look the same to me. I couldn't tell what it was. And so my end conclusion is this. It is a rooster until it lays an egg. Figure that's safe enough. It is now a rooster until it lays an egg. The minute it lays an egg, that changes everything. Chickens produce fruit too, don't they? Right? You will know them by their eggs if you will. Fruit makes things pretty clear, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you will know them by their fruit. And he basically says, and I'm paraphrasing a lot here, is if you have any questions, wait till they lay an egg. And you will see what's in that egg. So there are eggs if you will, in Christian lives. And there are eggs in non-Christian lives. And these eggs or these fruits look different. But I want to say this. Just because it comes out of a chicken doesn't mean it's necessarily an egg, right? There are lots of things that come out of chickens that you don't want to eat. So knowing what is fruit and what isn't fruit is pretty important. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. Turn to me now to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. John 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. So just to break this down, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, Listen, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. And the reason that we know all of this is because of the miraculous signs that we are seeing you do. And he says, now, we've come to the conclusion that no one could do these signs and these miracles if they were not from God. What Nicodemus is saying is based on the external things that we see, based on what we see that is done in front of people, clearly that is a sign that God is with you and that you are from God. It's very interesting how Jesus responds to Nicodemus. Because his response may not be what you expected. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
He says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. What Jesus says to Nicodemus in that moment is, it's not the signs and the wonders that are really important. He basically says, you're looking at the wrong thing. What you think is fruit isn't necessarily fruit. He says, so no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So he says, it's not the signs and wonders that are important. But what's important is this dramatic change in a person's life, their inner life, that's so drastic and so radical that it could be described as a completely new birth of that person. He says, the change in the inner life, to tell that someone's from God, there will be a change in their inner life that is drastic. That means that what they once were doing, they no longer are doing. This change is so different. It's like they are a completely new and different person. They don't even look close to the other. In fact, it's so drastic and so radical and so different. It's like they've been born completely new again. Jesus says, don't get confused about who's from God and who's not from God. Don't look at outward signs. Don't even look at miraculous signs to determine who's from God and who's not from God. What you need to look at is real fruit, and real fruit is internal. It comes from drastic change. You can tell them by the way their lives have been completely changed. If we look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus, in a different portion here, says this, Many on that last day who will have cast out demons, and I'm just paraphrasing this, and done mighty works in my name, he says, I will say to them, depart. I never knew you. Now say, but we've done all these powerful, miraculous things in your name, cast out demons and prophesied and, and all of these things. And he'll say, but I never knew you. What he's saying there, there are people who will be doing these things that haven't experienced that drastic born-again experience, that drastic change in their lives. What he's saying is it is completely possible in this world to look godly and spiritual on the outside it is completely possible to be doing godly things, but having experienced absolutely no change internally. If you want to jump around and get to Romans, you'll see Paul says this. Some people are preaching Christ for what? Selfish gain. What scares me in this, and, and, and then we get back to the first passage I read about false prophets, is, is there's so much of this kind of stuff in church today. I've got to tell you guys, anyone who stands behind this platform or stands on this platform, you need to double check what they're saying, including me with Scripture. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, you have to dismiss it. That is your responsibility as Christians. 
And Jesus says, there are going to be many people that come. Do you know that, 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 that being in ministry can be profitable for people? Being in ministry can achieve selfish gain. And you've got to be really careful about who you allow to pour into you. You've got to be really careful even that you don't get taken by powerful moves on the outside and go, wow, how could God not be with this person because I see this happen and this happen and that happen. God will honor his name. God will honor his power. That's who he is. Jesus will do things, but it doesn't mean that that person who's Doing this stuff is a changed, transformed person. For all we know, they could be doing it for selfish gain. They could be doing it to benefit themselves. They could be doing it because they like the power. They like the authority. They like the finances. How many times do we see on TV? Listen, for, for this amount of money, you know, send this to me and I'll send you this and, and this prayer seat and this. Listen, God will bless you for giving. Don't get me wrong. But he's not an investment strategy. And if you're giving only to get, guess what? You've missed it. You're still fleshy inside. You haven't been transformed because your chief goal is still yourself. It's getting for yourself. It's not the worship of God. And so it's possible to be going to church. It's possible to, 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 to be doing miraculous things and not have experienced this interchange. And so in this passage, we see a warning that we need to be cautious about who we allow pour into us, who we allow to speak into our lives, that we will know them and shouldn't make judgment calls by the exterior and the external and the acts done in public, but we will know them by the internal fruit, which we will get into in a moment. There will be internal fruit that can't be faked every day of your life. Maybe you can fake it for a season or for an event or for a day or for whatever it may be, but it cannot be faked throughout your life. I'm not a Greek scholar, but the Greek word used here for born again has three different meanings. It means completely radical. It means again or a second time. And thirdly, it means from above, therefore from God. And so all three meanings here apply to what Jesus is saying. He says to Nicodemus, unless there is a completely radical change, unless you have been born a second time, a newness, the old person is gone. And his new life. This is why scripture refers to new Christians as infants. That's why Jesus says, unless you become like a child and change. And 30, but the most important is this. It's a change that cannot come from yourself. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Flesh cannot give birth to spirit. And spirit gives birth to spirit. And so... This change, this transformation, this radical change only can come from Christ. And so into your flesh can come a spiritual birth when you open up the doors for Christ to come in. And that is the power that transforms the inner core. Radical change. Radical change from what? Well, from the desires of. Of the flesh. 
If you look at flesh, Holman's Bible Dictionary writes this about flesh. It says, biblically, the flesh is viewed as the created and natural, as created natural humanity. It is not automatically sinful, but it is weak, limited, and temporal. Such qualities make it vulnerable to sin. And so your flesh is not sinful, but we are weak in our flesh. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asks his disciples to stay awake and pray, and they don't. And Jesus makes this comment. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is, is weak. Flesh is weak. And so the, the, your flesh, in the flesh, your flesh itself is not sinful. Your flesh is weak. And when, when, so when we refer to flesh, when you see Paul referring to flesh, he's talking about kind of the, the desires of the flesh. All right, not the flesh, obviously, itself. So since sin promises pleasure and fulfillment, the natural propensity for people, for humans, is to yield to the flesh, right? Is to yield to the desire for, for um, pleasure and fulfillment. Basically saying humans in the flesh will chase pleasure, and they will chase themselves at the cost of many other things. Yet we know that in this chasing, they will never fully be satisfied, and therefore this chasing for fulfillment and pleasure will lead from one thing to another, to another, to another, never fully being satisfied. And it says this, now based on this kind of lifestyle, when you're chasing pleasure and fulfillment and self-gratification and all of these things, the fruit of this kind of lifestyle, this kind of chasing, is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. The deeds of a lifestyle chasing this pleasure and self-satisfaction. So it says, though the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality... Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. He says, so as you chase these things, this is what's going to be evident in your life. Looking at what other people have. Being jealous. Wanting it for yourself. You can get to the forefront of your mind. It can almost drive you. Can that happen in church? Yeah, it can. Can that happen with pastors? Oh, yeah. Man, look at that church. Man, look at the size of that congregation. Look at that guy's salary. Man. Man, I, I want that. I want that. And so... How can I do this? And what's the latest fad? And how can I do this? And I start preaching. And, and am I preaching from this? Yes, I'm preaching from this. And I'm honoring this as in, in his words. And, but inside, I'm doing it. Why? Because I'm trying to grow. The more numbers I have, the more successful I am. The more successful I am, the more pride I have, the more known I am. And, and all of this. And so inside, as I'm preaching and saying the right things, and God may honor the things I am saying, 
I'm in danger of standing before him if that's my attitude. God's saying, listen, yes, you did these things, but I don't know you. There's no inner transformation because while you were saying these things, you were saying them because you were lusting after your own pride and after your own promotion and after your own finances, and you didn't get what I was all about. So can these things happen on the pulpit and the platform? Yes, they can. And can they happen in your life? Yes, they can. I'm not exempt from this stuff up here, and you're not exempt from this stuff in the pew. And Jesus says, listen, watch out for false prophets. If there are false prophets doing this, then there are false Christians doing this as well. Fortunately, I find that what you do and what you say up here, if I'm going to be fake up here, then I will reproduce fake in the, in the congregation. If I'm going to be transparent up here, then I'll reproduce transparency in the congregation. And we see this. Again, these people who are talking about taking care of yourself and your finances and all of this first, and you see it. The congregations are filled with the people still doing the same thing and chasing after themselves. And their gods are the same gods that belong to the world. The only thing that becomes even more sick about it is that God himself has become the engine to serve the gods they really worship. The gods of self, of finances, of pride, of self-promotion. And that's what begins to happen if we're not careful. And he says, so in, in the lives of the people that are serving themselves and have this fleshy nature, it's going to be evident that there's immorality. Immorality? Running around sexually, trying to fulfill everything that you want? Impurity, idolatry, putting all kinds of other things before God, strife, jealousy, anger, lack of self-control, disputes, drunkenness. He says, those who follow the impulses of the flesh are governed by the flesh. Those who follow these things, they're enchained to these things. It drives them. It pulls them. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong thing. Don't look at the miraculous powers because it doesn't, and I underline necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's been an inner transformation in the born-again experience. It certainly can mean that, and hopefully does mean that. But that shouldn't be the defining moment or the, or the, um, for you as whether they're from God or not from God. He says, don't look at those things, but rather determine in your heart if they're from God by the transformation that is evident in their lives. And that transformation will be very evident because it will be radically different from who they once were if you knew them before. And if you didn't know them before, it won't matter because it will be radically different than the world that they live in. It'll be like that fish swimming upstream against the current. It'll be like 150 people walking this way and the one walking through the crowd this way that stands out. 
because if they were walking with the crowd, they'd blend in. But man, there's something about someone who's been radically changed that's not going with the world, and they're walking in the, in the opposite direction, and that one person will jump out. And God is saying, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, Nicodemus, that's what you look for. You look for someone who is walking this way with the crowd, all of a sudden stops, doesn't about face, and walks the other way. And you're going, wait a second, this person is so completely different from the way they once were, it's like they're completely new. This new creation, this born-again experience wasn't a new terminology for the Jews, nor was it new terminology for the Greeks. They actually used it all the time. So when Nicodemus says, wait a second, how can an old man get into his mother's womb? Barclay suggests that he wasn't saying, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense to me, because being a Jewish ruler, it would have made sense to him. There were a lot of religions at that time who were talking about this born-again, kind of this new creation kind of thing. But what Barclay says this, what Barclay says is this, he says, it's like this guy was saying, man, it's like, he goes, I want that change. But it seems so impossible for me to change. It would be like me having to crawl up into my mother's womb and be reborn again. That's how drastic this change is that I need in my life, and it seems impossible. And it does seem impossible, doesn't it? If you haven't experienced that change, you can go, man, this is wishful thinking. You can begin to list all the things in your life that you go, man, I need help with this, and I need help from, with that. And, and you know why it's so impossible? Because flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. And too many times, we're trying to make changes, and we're trying to somehow have our flesh give birth to spirit. It doesn't work. Because you don't have the power, nor do I have the power to make those changes. And sometimes... That's what we try to do. So for us, it seems impossible. How can this radical transformation take place? But for Christ, he says, it's not you who does it. It's me. Flesh gives birth to flesh. This isn't a surprise, right? Is anybody amazed when a dog has puppies? Probably not. If it had cats, you'd probably be surprised, right? Makes sense. Flesh gives birth to to flesh. Chickens give birth to chickens, dogs to dogs, humans to humans. I haven't seen this change once yet. And so flesh giving birth to flesh means that in us is this sinful nature. Without a transformed life by Christ, naturally, people who aren't Christians aren't going to look like they are. And what baffles me as a Christian is why we as Christians get so offended when we see unsafe people doing unsafe things. Right? That's like being amazed when you see a dog giving birth to a dog. Like, really? What did you expect? We shouldn't be offended by it. We go, well, it would be kind of weird if it wasn't the case. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So in our fleshy nature, we're naturally, right, going to chase things for fulfillment. The difference between the Christian and and, 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 and being in the spirit, being in the flesh, is that we find our fulfillment in Christ. And in that, we recognize that he is, and life is about him, and that's where fulfillment comes from. That's our purpose. And so the flesh is constantly looking for their fulfillment and their purpose, 
And because they don't understand that they were born and they were created to worship God, and the only fulfillment they're going to ever have in their life is when they find that and they stop worshiping themselves and worshiping God. So until they find that, they're going to be chasing everything and anything and getting hurt in the process, trying to fill themselves with this lady or this guy or this relationship or, 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 or this career or, or, or this, these finances or whatever it is that they're chasing. Until someone steps in. And the one who steps in is Christ living through you. When out of the 150 people walking this way, they bump into you walking the other way and they begin to ask a question. Wait a second. Why are you so different? Why are you so radically different? And the thing about it is, is you don't even have to open your mouth for that conversation to come. If you're transformed by Christ... If that radical transformation is taking place, you don't even have to open your mouth because they will come to you. All right? I'm not against opening your mouth. But what I'm saying is, man, the greatest time to speak about who Christ is when someone comes up to you and says, why are you doing this? Or why aren't you doing this? When they come to you, their walls are down. They're saying, man, there's something different here, and I've got to know why? And the Holy Spirit is moving in that, constantly pushing them towards him. And you have an open door to begin to tell them who Christ is in your life and why you live this way. And in doing so, it's amazing when you see them find freedom and true peace and experience that radical change as well. So our goal is not to get offended by people who aren't living as Christians. Why would they? I'm not living as a Muslim, right? Are you? Hopefully not. So it's not, our job is not to condemn them. Our job is to point to freedom found in Christ. And so sometimes some people, some Christians get so offended, they withdraw to themselves to be around like-minded people, and there's power in being around like-minded people. You're just not meant to camp out there all the time. We're, not, we're supposed to be in this world, not of this world. That means that, man, if we're going to be effective, we have to be in there amongst them, not, not um, aligning ourselves with them or doing the same thing, but being there with them. Why? Because it's God's desire that they find him, that he can lead them to true life. So flesh gives birth to flesh. Then Jesus says spirit gives birth to spirit. And those who know God will experience this radical change. Barclay says this, it's only when God's grace enters into us and takes possession of us and changes us that we can give to him the reverence and devotion we ought to give. It's through Jesus Christ that we are reborn. It's when he enters into possession of our hearts and lives that the changes come. When Jesus takes possession of our lives, when we love him with all of our heart, the sins of the past are forgiven and forgotten. But that's not all. If that were all, we would likely just make the same mistakes and sins all over again. But the beautiful part about this is when he comes into our lives, with him enters a new power which never existed before. It's the power that he uses to transform our lives. So into our lives, it is a new power which enables us to be 
what by ourselves we could never be, and to do what by ourselves we could never do. And so into this fleshly life comes the Spirit. And it's only through His grace and His love. And it's not by our works, simply by our recognition and our desire of who Jesus is. And self-awareness to know, man, I do not like my inner man or my inner person. I do not like what's happening on the inside. And I've tried to change it by myself. And the recognition that you will never be able to do it, you will never be good enough. So many times people say, man, if I clean my life up enough, then I can come to church and then I can come to God. And God says, you're missing it. You will never clean your life up enough. You will never be good enough. You can't do it. All you have to do is go, like we listened last week to Michael Jr. All you have to do is, man, my house is dirty. Let me open the door. And Jesus is out there with a bucket and cleaning supplies and says, good, now I can come in and I can clean you up and I can transform you. And at that moment, spirit enters into flesh and then spirit gives birth to spirit. This amazing thing happens. Now in this life of flesh that we live in, these are our bodies, this is what we're restricted to. We still have that sinful nature. Our flesh is still weak, but into this weakness of our flesh comes an empowering spirit that enables us to do what we've never dreamed of doing. There's so much more to that message, and so I'm going to preach on that next week. I'm going to talk about how we are empowered by God and what exactly Jesus accomplished when he came. Because, again, you know, we, we, we are sinners because Adam was a sinner, right? Adam, uh, Scripture tells us that because Adam sinned, we basically are descendants of Adam, and we are born with a sinful nature. So as sin entered the world through Adam, freedom entered the world through Christ. Jesus came, he entered into skin and flesh and bones, and he was subject to all the temptations and all the weaknesses of the flesh. But what was different about him him and Adam is that he conquered flesh. He didn't give in to flesh. He lived with, with all of the temptations, and he conquered flesh. He defeated flesh, and then he went to the cross. This is the ultimate move of God. Not just that he conquered flesh and, he, and conquered sin and didn't give in, but then he did the most godly thing and the most anti-flesh thing he could do. He then said, I am going to die as if I was a sinner. I'm going to give myself up for all those who do not like me, who do not love me, and all those who have sinned. Listen, no one in the flesh will do that. That's completely opposite to what flesh desires. Flesh is about self-promotion and self-protection. And Jesus in the flesh says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to die and defeat everything. Defeat flesh, defeat the enemy, defeat sin. And he dies for everyone else. And he rises again. This is why Paul says, man, do you understand the power 
that is living in you. And then it says, listen, just as sin came in the world through Adam because he is flesh, freedom and life comes through Jesus because he is flesh. And we have the ability to be descendants from Christ if we will recognize what he's done. And at that point of recognizing who Jesus is and saying, God, will you come into my, house, into my heart? The same power that, 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 that defeated sin, death, and rose from the, helped Jesus rise from the grave, and that same spirit comes and lives inside of us. And I don't think we recognize that. I don't think we live according to that. That's why Paul says, listen, don't you understand? Yes, you're caught in this fleshly exterior, but inside of you is this eternal power from from God. And he's already defeated sin, death, and the grave, and he lives in you. The same power that rose Christ from the grave lives in you. Yet some of us walk around as if Sin is still, or its flesh is more powerful than who he is. Do you realize that, 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 that your faith empowers the Holy Spirit? Does that make sense? What I mean by that is, Scripture tells us, let it be to them according to their faith. If we believe, if we trust, and it says faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Well, if you're sitting here as a Christian, you're thinking that your problems in the flesh are bigger than the the, the spirit that lives inside of you. You're never going to see victory because that's not honoring to God. But when you recognize, no, wait a second. Jesus has already defeated this. He's already defeated this. This is not an issue. The issue is not with Jesus or lack of power. The issue is with lack of belief and lack of moving forward. And what happens if we embrace the power that lives within us, what happens to us as Christians? But that's next week. So Jesus tells Nicodemus this. It's not the miraculous signs that you need to look for in this world, but rather in a world controlled by immorality, jealousy, Anger, disputes, and drunkenness. Look for people filled with love, joy, peace, restraint, gentleness, and self-control. Because in a world governed by the former, these folks are going the completely opposite way. That's what you look for in people. You stand to your feet this morning. Would you just bow your heads? I want to ask you a couple of questions. First question I want to ask you is, who are you allowing to pour into you? Who are you allowing to pour into you? And why? I'm sure a lot of you are allowing really great people and wonderful pastors and wonderful people on TV to pour into you, and there's some really good people out there. But some of us may not be. You need to ask yourself, why do you give them influence in your life? And if your answer is because of what I've seen with miraculous power, you need to check yourself and say, because Jesus would say, you're looking at the wrong thing. Is there fruit of a completely transformed life. Is this about them or is this about God? And how is that evident in their lives?
The second thing I want to ask you this morning is this. Have you experienced that radical change? Have you experienced that transformed life, this new birth that Jesus talks about where you were walking this way and all of a sudden that changed? Christ came in, you've done an about face and you're now walking the opposite direction. Things to ask yourself this morning are, are what changes have I seen take place in my life since I've accepted Christ? What's different about me now than before? In a world that's walking one way, Do I really stand out because I'm walking the other way? What what motivates me to do what I'm doing? I don't care if it's ministry. I don't care if it's in a secular job. It doesn't matter. Because you can be in ministry and be motivated by the wrong thing. What motivates me to do what I do? What are my top five goals that I'm trying to achieve in life and why? And do they have eternal significance? I want to tell you guys, the flesh is dying. I can promise you that. The flesh is temporary. It's on its way out. My flesh is different today than it was 10 years ago. So is yours. But what's inside is eternal. Scripture tells us, man, don't sell out for what is temporary. Sell out for what's eternal. Don't worry about who can kill the flesh. Worry about who can kill your soul. Because the flesh will die, the soul will live forever. This is why it says in Romans, man, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't matter about my hardships. It doesn't matter about my sufferings. It doesn't matter about all these things. Though we are being led like sheep to the slaughter, it doesn't matter about those. Because you are more than conquerors because they can take your flesh. And they can take your body. And they can take this carnal life. But they can never take your soul. Because Jesus has given you life, but are you selling out to the flesh? Because he says, if you sell out to the flesh, you will die with the flesh. But if you sell out to the Spirit, you will live with the Spirit. He says, the fruit of what you're doing is evident in how you're living. Man, if you're chasing the things of the flesh, these selfish pleasures and all of these things, it doesn't matter how spiritual you look on the outside. It doesn't matter how much scripture you can quote. It means nothing. Is there evidence in your life of sacrifice, of servanthood, of love, of peace, of joy, of considering others better than yourself? Or is there evidence of the other where maybe you do that as an act or as an event, but inside, it's about that next promotion. It's about more money. It's about all of these things.
He says, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And here's the cool thing. All you have to do to change is recognize where you are and not be content with it. And say, God, I don't like what I see when I look inside of my life. What I see is carnal. What I see is selfish ambition. What I see is all these things. God, I want to change. And will you come in? And will you change me? And at that moment, spirit comes into flesh and gives birth to spirit. Does this mean that you will never sin again? No, it doesn't. Boy, it'd be great if it did. Means that you will never be content and okay with the sin that is in your life. And into that, I love what I'm getting to next week. Paul says, man, I wrestle. I wrestle. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things I, I do want to do, I don't do. Who's going to save me from this? We'll talk about that next week. But you can be empowered in the midst of the struggle and live for God an amazing life. I want to ask our prayer team to come forward. And I just want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to do something challenging this morning. I'm, I'm always praying for people and always saying that you can stay in your seat and that's fine. Do I believe that God can't answer your, your, your prayer if you're sitting in a pew? No. Of course God can answer your prayer if you're sitting in a pew. But here's what I think God has been saying lately to me about this. God is calling us to radically different lives. And well, sometimes what keeps us in the pew is a fear of stepping out. It's a fear of walking against the current. It's a fear of being noticed by other people. It's a fear of people thinking, man, what are people going to say about me? And so why I believe God wants you to step out this morning is because if you can't step out in a Christian congregation where people love you and support you and want to see you step out, I feel like what he's saying is, man, you will never step out in a crowd of people who don't want to see it. It's about daring to walk the other way. It's about daring to trust God. It's about daring to say, God, I'm all in. So I want to pray for you, and there are people in here that God's speaking to. And if you're here, and you're not satisfied with where you are in life, Maybe that's too generic. None of us should be satisfied. If you look at internally and go, man, that radical change is just, I, I need more of it in me. And maybe you're giving in. And I want to encourage you, man, come to the front. You don't have to pray with a prayer team member. You can kneel down, pray by yourself. But step out, not for me, not for these people. None of us matter. Step out for him. Say, God, I want more. And I don't have the power. If you're here in this place and you've never accepted Christ, I want to tell you you're missing out. 
I want to tell you that you're chasing things that will never bring fulfillment. And here's the thing about it, is you know it already. But as you look back on your life, you will never see a situation where you go, man, I was fulfilled. And God has more for you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You were born with a purpose. I tell you, when you grab hold of him, your life will never look the same, but you will never look back. He wants to take you places you never dreamed possible. But man, it starts with this internal decision. And right now, he's saying to you, what are you going to do right now in this moment? I'm going to ask Tim to lead us in worship. And while he's doing that, we're going to open these altars up. And then after that, when he closes, I'm going to pray over the people that are up here. Maybe that sounds harsh. I want to pray over the people that are responding up here who are trusting. There's a sea of angels in Christ who's waiting and excited about your response this morning. Would you respond to him?